So what do you do around here? Read books, transcribe music, swim at the river, go out at night. Sounds fun. All right, later. Just watch. This is how we'll say goodbye to us when the time comes. Later. <laughs> Meanwhile, we'll have to put up with him for six long weeks. Wait, why don't you just say that again on mic, what okay. you just said to me when I was... Because uh, uh, for Welcome <laughs> to the Wages of Cinema, everyone, I'm Jack, and uh, with me tonight on this very uh, special and spontaneous unplanned episode is Corey. Hello, everyone. Yes. Um, so, uh, just before we got on mic, I was telling Corey that, all right, because I sometimes need to have some of the information about the actors of a particular film um, when we are uh, about to record. And uh, so I go on, uh, so I'm, I'm clicking on Letterboxd, I'm saying that, I'm saying, okay, just I just need to have the cast in front of me. And what did you say, Corey? I said, of course, that actor is spelled Timothy E.E. -E with an accent mark. <laughs> he can shove that accent mark up his ass. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Well, don't give the don't give the listeners away what you think of it so far. And geez, I can like see a vein throbbing down like your forehead. You're like you're like OJ in 1989 at Rockingham pissed. Okay. <laughs> Yelling at Nicole Simpson like, you know, <laughs> All right. So All right. So so we saw them film Call Me By Your Name. And uh, for those of you who don't know what the, uh, what this film is, uh, this is a uh, this is actually kind of an independent release. Um, we 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 saw it at at our, our relatively local art house theater uh, in Montclair, New Jersey, and uh, the, the and the movie is actually up for a number of awards as well in, in various things. And I can see Corey's about to Razzie Awards. Razzie Awards should be the only awards this movie's up for. Oh, jeez. Well, well, let me just ex let me just say what the movie's about first, because a lot of people listening, uh, you may not know what this movie is, but um, what this is uh, is a movie set in 1983, and it's about this uh, teenage kid uh, played by Timothy with two E's. <laughs> Or as you might say, Timothy. <laughs> he should just be called Timothy, by the way. He shouldn't even bother with the last name. Oh, by the way, his name rhymes too, because his first name is Timothy, and his last name is Chalamet. No. Okay. So anyway, he's so this kid is at, with his uh, parents away in northern Italy for the summer. Um, and uh, his father is played by Michael Stuhlbarg. The mother, I think, is the actress is Amira Kassar. And uh, and Timothy uh, plays uh, Elio, I guess. Rhymes with Cheerio. Um, <laughs> and so he's there, and his father is a uh, professor of, of some kind, like a, like an archaeology or whatever the hell. And um, his father, I guess, every summer has like a special student come to spend time at the at the family estate. And uh, in this in this summer, when Elio is seventeen, he meets Oliver, played by uh, Army Hammer. And um, I could try to go into a plot, but that's this movie doesn't have a plot. No, it, it's 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 what we call it's very it's very 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 European in style. And when we say <laughs> European, that's a way of saying that the movie is uh, very you know it's character based. It's all about looking at character that's what you get a lot of times with um uh you know these these kind of based movies oh god i just looked up the director uh the director of this movie by the way is luca guadagnino I'm, I'm probably not pronouncing that right and that's wrong on my end because i have a pretty unpronounceable last name um so she's directed, not she, he, he, he has kind of like a female name. Um, Luca Guadadino directed a, a bigger splash, which you saw. And actually I didn't. Yeah. It's one of the very rare films that I've seen that you have not seen. Mm -hmm. And I, I did see another film that he made called I am love, which is this super, super stylized, uh, uh, film with Tilda Swinton, which I remember kind of liking that. But what made me jump out just now was seeing in the films that he has coming soon. He directed a remake of Suspiria, which I'm 
Not sure now how I feel about that. Uh, I mean, we've talked about Suspiria a lot on this podcast over the years. But, all right, so to get to the point about this movie, um, I, I, so I, this movie's getting a lot of acclaim. I don't think the movie deserves that acclaim, but I don't hate it. All right. So Jack said at the outset, this was a spontaneous and unplanned podcast. The reason why it's spontaneous is basically I need to see a therapist after watching this movie because it was so awful. I am traumatized and I need to work out my trauma. This is not only by far the worst film I've seen this year. This is one of the worst films I've ever seen period. It is awful. It is unbearable. <laughs> and if I didn't but, vent my Corey, rage... Corey, 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 tell us how you really feel. <laughs> if I didn't vent my rage at being subjected to this horror, I was going to go out and commit a crime or something. Oh, come on. <laughs> because... You're being a, a little bit hyperbolic. Now... I, I think the movie's alright. It's not... It's not, like... I think that part of the problem is you go into a film like this... Which gets like it, it has a pretty high Rotten Tomatoes 96%. score. Ninety six percent. Ninety six percent of critics are dead wrong. This okay. movie is an okay. abomination. Okay. okay, calm down. Let me just talk for a second. I don't know how I'll get through this. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, You're gonna have to keep your woman in line, Jack. I was gonna. Well, I'm as, gonna want to talk over you. Well, as I said, as we were, you know, still in the car ride home. <laughs> I mean, Roger Ebert's looking up with his North <laughs> Review in hand going, damn, woman. You know, like, uh, I'm just expecting you to suddenly break out into, I hate this movie. Hate, 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 hate. I said that in the car multiple times. <laughs> okay. So here's the thing about this movie you gotta know. So, again, this is set in, you know, the, the Italian countryside. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, this kid, Elia, his parents, Michael Stuhlbarg and, uh, and, uh, the, the other woman, Amira Kassar, um, they, they have a lot of money. They have a lot. Like a lot they, they're the money. kind of family that, you know, they're, they're, they're well upper They're They don't, they, they don't, they don't have, they're not upper crust to the extent that, you know, they have like those formal dinners where you have to have your fork and knife set in such a way, but they're just one step below that. Like they have maids, you know, they're all basically weighed on hand and foot. And what you're seeing in the movie pretty quickly, I'd say between, um, the Timothy, uh, Chalamet character and army hammer. But the problem is, is, and I was thinking about this about a little more than halfway into the movie is comparing it to other films that deal with looking at homosexual relationships uh, you know, two that come to mind right away are Brokeback Mountain, which is kind of the standard, but also Moonlight from last year. And I think that a lot of the problem with this film has to do with the context of the conflict. Or the complete lack of conflict. This is a movie completely devoid of conflict or drama or tension or narrative stakes. There are is no consequences to anything. There is no there is no friction, there is no tension. Everyone is just so relaxed because they're rich jerks like relaxing in the Italian I countryside. Mean, I wouldn't say that they're jerks. Like the the thing about this movie is you know you can't really get you're never mad at anyone. Like you know nobody nobody except for the director Rimshot. <laughs> And the screenwriter. <laughs> oh, oh, we should talk about the screenwriter for a second. I don't know. Did you notice the credit? No. Is uh, the script? Well, this is based on a book, apparently. I don't know much about the book, but the script was written by uh, James Ivory of, uh, you know, like Merchant Ivory. Really? Those type of films. And I have to be honest, I haven't, I haven't seen that many uh, Merchant Ivory films. Uh, I mean, Merchant, you know, if, you, if you've heard of movies like. I don't know, like remains of the day or uh, or Howard's End, um, God, what, what else? Uh, a room with a view. Uh, he he was known for a long time for these super, very elegant, some mostly understated movies about you know relationships with people in upper crust society. I still remember a quote from. Uh, Quentin Tarantino uh, at, at 
when he, when Reservoir Dogs first came out, Sundance, he was asked about, you know, well, don't you think that you know, maybe your film is a little bit, you know, aren't you, aren't, isn't violence offensive? And he's like, no, I think violence is awesome. What offends me is that Merchant Ivory shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he wrote this, and and the reason why I bring up Brokeback Mountain Moonlight is because those films, they also are very delicate subtle understated films that have like this rich emotional uh fluidity going through it i don't know if i'm using a pretentious term there but there's a lot of raw emotion between you know seeing uh you know these people who you know should be together but aren't but the thing is in those films the context of where where their relationships are taking place matters that you know, you have cowboys in, you know, like a, you know, you know, the, the American super homophobic atmosphere. And then Moonlight is in black society where, you know, being gay is just like, you know, it, it's like just not heard of uh, here. There's never a point where I thought to myself, oh, oh, Elio's not going to be able to tell his parents about this. Well, yeah, everyone in the movie is a super liberal, bohemian, open-minded type. Again, the and... professor, you know, his father is a professor, which at first I thought, oh, he, Michael Schulberg's a professor. Corey's automatically going to like this. <laughs> I was wrong about that. A professor with a very indistinct academic specialty. Oh, well, that was something that you briefly brought up in the car. Like, why don't you expand on that? Okay, so Jack and I are both well-educated people. Jack has a master's degree. Right. I have a PhD. So Army Hammer's character in this movie is a doctoral student. Yeah, yeah, that that's the thing. Every summer, we're led to believe that they go off into, like, to this northern Italian countryside, and there's a different doctoral student that comes, like, every summer. So, I don't know if the creator just didn't care about accuracy, but I have a PhD. I know how this stuff works, and... This is not how grad school works at all. This is <laughs> so, not how academia so, works so, at Corey, all. Corey, something I just thought of. <laughs> so does this get college as wrong as God's Not Dead? <laughs> yes. Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was kind of the high watermark yes. for cinema this that gets, gets college, college wrong. just as wrong as God's Not Dead. Wait, now, no, I... come on. That's a little... Like, so what What about it made no sense, though? Several things. First off... What, that, like, you wouldn't have a doctoral student stay with a professor to assist him? The relationship between the advisor and the student is unnaturally intimate. And I say that as someone who not only had, but still has, a very close friendly relationship with my advisor my when i got my doctorate my advisor i love the man we were we were very friendly we got along very well i'm still in regular contact with him and we chatted you know about things unrelated to the work but do you know what i never did with him skipped off for a six-week vacation in fucking italy but don't you but could it be excused though that you know he he's his field is a little bit different in scope. Well, that's scope. the other thing, is that his academic field is unclear. So I thought it was kind of like archaeology or something. Well, here's the thing. At one point, they participate in a kind of archaeological dig. Yeah. they. Yeah. Yet, there are also times where he seems like an art professor. And when Army Hammer actually reads text from what presumably is his dissertation, it sounds like a philosophy text. Yeah. So the other thing about grad school is if you get a PhD, you hyper-specialize. Right. You specialize in one tiny corner of a subfield of a larger discipline. So this idea that you would be participating in archaeological digs and reading all this philosophy and doing fine arts. And, and at one point, uh, correcting Michael Stuhlbarg on like where, oh, the, yeah. where the word apricot comes from. Yeah, and what etymology. Was up with that? 
<laughs> dissertations are typically not that interdisciplinary. You basically, you hyper-specialize. I, my dissertation was a tiny slice of a subfield of a subfield of political science. So, you, you had the factory in Chicago that makes major models of factories <laughs> of, of fields. So this idea that even if you have a warm and friendly a relationship with your advisor, which I did and I do, the idea that you would have the type of relationship that they have in this movie is totally inauthentic. I, I t To me... The way that you say it now, I could see why it would be problematic. I didn't really think of it as so much of a problem because I just maybe I, I, I thought that I actually could grasp onto the Michael Stuhlbarg character a little bit. Although I wondered at first if the movie was going to play around with maybe the idea that, you know, Michael Stuhl, Stuhlbarg, he's a wonderful actor. There's a part of him, in, part of me in this movie that looked looked at the way that he was playing it and thought, like, so could he be like a closeted guy too? Like maybe he wants someone like Army Hammer there to, uh, you know, fool around with. But the movie never goes there. Also, this idea that you have just this endless buckets of free time. When you're a PhD student, is total BS. Well, yeah, I mean, it. it I, I would say, I will say that story-wise, it, it kind of just seems like the work that he, ha that Army Hammer has to do is, you know, he goes into town and picks up some papers. Yeah, so <laughs> that's, that, that's kind of ladies it. and gentlemen. I have to tell you, and you know this too, because you also. I'm not the only one with grad school knowledge here. Grad school is not frolicking in the Italian countryside. Hmm. Right. Um, so, but now, but if he had been like something else, like, I, I don't know, maybe he was, if he was helping Michael Stuhlbarg write a book or something, would that bother you as much? Um, it wouldn't have bothered me as much. Basically, any other reason to get him there, because unfortunately, they took something I know a lot about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they not, I mean, totally bungled I, it. I mean, I don't remember if they say where the Stuhlbarg character teaches. I mean, so who knows? Maybe it could be like the the one PhD program that's so intensive, more than what you had, that you had to bring someone there. Well, even if you want to say that like the arts are different, first of all, you have a master of fine arts. Yeah. My father is a master of fine arts. It takes and... a lot of research to do like that kind of work. Yeah, it's. Oh my. All right, but moving on it's, now. It's not even like in the top 10 problems of this movie, uh. but this is not how grad school works <laughs> at all. In fact, this is not how anything works. There well, is not one identifiably human moment in this entire film. I uh, I, I don't know if I would go that far. I uh, See, the reason why I said I think this movie is all right, and I, I would even go as far as to say I would give it the tiniest teeniest mildest recommendations and i'm now probably not gonna be able to sleep in the same bed tonight i'm Corey. spousally but... abusing you tonight <laughs> for saying that <laughs> but no it, a couple of things i do think the movie looks looks pretty beautiful and it, to, to be now it almost is uh, it's too beautiful the thing is for the director it's almost like the location does more of the work than he has to do. Like, there are a couple of moments where there's a weird style he brings to it. I don't know if you remember that. Like, there's one moment where uh, Elio is just kind of, like, staring off and contemplating, and the movie had, like, a weird filter. Yeah. That, And then there was, like, a point really late in the film where they did that again, and I didn't quite get what he was going for because it doesn't match up the rest of the the feel of it. And the other thing that I liked a lot was Army Hammer. I thought he brought a lot of you know really you know strong humanity to this character, and made it almost it also made me a little unsure at, at times of okay uh, like. What you can play with in this movie is okay. Obviously, Elio is attracted to this Oliver guy. That that's clear from the get go. But is Oliver attracted to him? And Army Hammer, I felt like played around a little bit with that up until 
that's no longer an issue. Um, and I, I bought into his performance enough that it carried me through uh, the majority of the film. All right, so. this is going to be the one um, Positive? not negative T- say thing. Some, say something nice. I'm okay. going to be like an old mother. Hey, 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 be nice. Say something nice about this movie. Now, I actually think all the performances in this movie are fine to good. And that should be enough to make it at least watchable. Yeah, Stuhlbarg is also pretty good. But, I don't know if I'm as warm on Chalamet, and we'll get to him in a moment. But the problem is, no actor could enliven this dead, dead, dead material. It, so, I think yeah. the actors are fine, but basically what the actors are doing are performing CPR on a corpse. It's still dead. It, the, the, uh, part of the problem is that I just I couldn't emotionally connect with the material. No. That there's not enough there that really makes it. And I don't know if it necessarily needed to have like the uh, the aspect of it that co- sometimes comes up in these stories where you know what if you become what if you're closeted and you ha- and you come out and it becomes a problem. But you could have done something else. You could have developed some of the other characters. Like, there was this, uh, there, there's this girl in the movie who Elio also gets attracted to. I have a strong point about this, too. Yeah, I think her name was, oh, God, what was it? Mar- Marzia, maybe? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and she's played by Esther Gurel. Um, and what happens here, and I, I don't know, we don't care. I don't care about spoilers. Yeah, consider spoil from this point on that this will be a spoiler-heavy review, but because this movie is plotless, I don't even know how you can spoil yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the thing. Here is if, your if, if you are really, warning. Here's what I would say. If you're really interested in seeing this movie, you kind of know our thoughts on it by now, um, but if you don't care or are interested in hearing more, you can listen on from here. Anyway, yeah, it's hard to spoil this kind of movie, but so this character, she she comes around and she's this you know conventionally attractive Italian young you know woman who also catches Elio's eye, and she's a total cipher. Oh wait, oh, oh, I have a lot of feelings about this. Now, <laughs> why I didn't know about this. Why? Why are you? Why, okay. What kind of feelings so, do you have? First, I, I want to make it clear that I don't. Think the movie posits that Elio and Oliver are gay. I just think well, they're, that, well, they're they're bisexual. Yeah, because both that, that is a distinction we should make. They are bisexual, but the homosexual part of their relationship yeah. is so strong that that's why the movie's getting both characters are attracted to women, have relations with women. Now, here is another example of where the director could have injected some actual drama into this totally inert postcard of a film. Right. So, Elio has sex with this Marzia character multiple times. Yeah, we, I, I almost got the sense that maybe he lost he his lost virginity? He lost his virginity to her. Yeah, he does. Okay. And, it's, and we assume that she loses her virginity to him. So we have these two characters, and we also know they've known each other for a long time. Yes, yes. So we have characters who have known each other for a long time, who lose their virginity to each other, and then afterwards, Elio, because of his attraction to Oliver, kind of passively dumps Marzia. Yeah, I mean, he never comes out and says we're through. He just stops seeing her. He ghosts contact. her. He's used 2017 terminology. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, they didn't have this technology in 1983, but I guess it's that. Yeah, so basically, he avoids her for a few days, and then she comes to the house and says, Hey, what's going on? And he kind of blows her off, and then she says, Am I still your girl? 
and he's just silent. The the problem is Elio doesn't seem to have like, you know what what is he just a horny teenager? Well, the th- my problem with this is Marcia pedals away on the bike, and here is an example of where you could have actually had conflict in the movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I had had a long-term friendship with a guy, surrendered my virginity to him, then he ghosted me and dumped me, I would be really mad. But when she she comes back for one more scene at the end of the movie, and she's totally nice and says to him, just so you know, I'm not mad at you and we can still be friends, because God forbid anyone has, you know, conflict or drama. What if she was mad at him? What if his yeah, we never relationship with Oliver, which we know is temporary, actually costs him something? Yeah. His relationship with Marcia. Yeah, he doesn't really have any consequences to the things he does in the movie. Now, granted, a lot of the movie, he's just kind of like riding on bicycles and swimming in lakes. Yeah, and... this is... Basically, this movie is like watching home videos of your super rich friend's vacation. To 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 paraphrase uh to kind of quote to paraquote or subquote uh whatever a par- Pauline Kale's review of Heaven's Gate. It's like getting a forced 4-hour tour of somebody's summer vacation. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly it. There is no drama to this movie. At all. There's no plot See arc. see I see I where I would want I think that she is a that that's a big flaw with the movie is that they don't develop her enough so that by the time that he does ghost her, the movie didn't really give me enough to really care about what happens with that either. Even though I should have cared, the fact that you know here's this relationship because he all I think Elio also mentioned that he used to not find her attractive like just a year ago, and now for some reason, you know she's just seventeen and you know what I mean, uh, but. <laughs> But they don't develop her enough, and they don't develop their relationship enough. So when it does fizzle out, it's like, well, this is just another thing that happens. Another movie that we could actually, I think, compare this to, and it's interesting because this actor, Timothy Chalamet, is in this too, is uh, Lady Bird. Which is an excellent film. Well, that's a very good film, and it also that's a film where you deal with a character who also, at the age of 17, goes through various relationships but in those cases you could see why the teenagers are together you could see some of the attraction even though and it's funny because Chalamet I think is better in that movie (laughs) than this because his kind of shallowness like in his screen presence works better for that character in Lady Bird (laughs) than it does here where it you know something else I thought about too watching and watching Call Me By Your Name in some ways, this actually feels like a movie that could have been made in 1983 in the way that it's shot and edited. This seems like something that could have been from then. I don't know if that's a great thing. Maybe they should have advanced certain things from that time. Like the, I, I could have seen this as some type of art house film from some forgotten French or Italian director or something. And it would be like the exact same type of you know, erotic appeal and, you know, sexual questioning and scenes with certain fruit produce. Well, I want to talk about that in a minute. We'll we'll get to that. But I'm really glad you brought up Lady Bird because Lady Bird, which I love that movie, loved it. Um, Yeah. If you have, go see that movie. Yeah, I like that a lot. if you've already seen it, go see that Yeah, it's not not a perfect film, but but I, I think it's a really... But uh, Lady debut. Bird is an example of a movie where that it could have been dull because the conflict is pretty low key. Yeah. Um, it's a coming of age film. Yeah. But that movie really makes you care about the characters and really yes. makes you invested in them. And I think for me, one of the primary differences was I actually think the beauty of this film works against it. Hmm. Because interesting. My problem is this movie. It's zero stakes. Yeah, this movie is very. It's trying very hard to dazzle you with the beauty of the Italian countryside. And maybe I fell for that a little bit, but you know, because 
maybe I can't help it because I just I like good cinematography. The problem is though, it's so over stylized, it's totally unrealistic. Like when I was watching this, I thought to myself, no human being has ever inhabited a space that looks like this. Mm. No human being has ever lived a life like this. It is so idyllic, it is so picture perfect, it is so drenched in like color and decadence and wealth it's just totally unrealistic so i could never the characters live lives of such decadence and such when we listen to the film spotting review on the way up here yeah they said that the movie is kind of a testament to hedonism mm. and the characters are just so indulged and they spend half the movie laying around like cats in the sun yeah there are a number of scenes where that happens where you just see like stuhlbarg and his wife just kind of sunning themselves or yeah or army hammer and and uh timothy chalamet do that and you know it really is like watching people on a sleepy summer vacation there is so much footage of in this movie of people Mm -hmm. just swimming laying out in the sun and eating and the problem was and maybe occasionally the kid plays some piano (laughs) but it was too sumptuous it was trying so hard that i was just totally alienated because i know this is not a human space this is not a realistic or authentic space. And the yeah. problem is, this is a character drama with no plot where you have to be able to connect with the characters. Yeah, yeah. well, that's the thing. And going back to Labor just one more time, in that case, again, that was very episodic. It was very much just about following this girl through you know a year in her life. It's a little bit longer than what this movie gives us, which is only six weeks. But yeah, again, it's the character work and also the fact that those characters do have problems. They have yeah. like real money problems. Like they actually have to, you know, the, the girl wants to just live her life, you know, her life, but you know, mom can't buy this thing for her or makes a stink about going to another college or doing this or that. I never get the sense that okay, where is this character's direction? What does he really want? Uh, what what does Elio want aside from okay? Well, he wants, uh, you know, you know, he he obviously he wants uh, Oliver, but that's not really that much of an issue because Oliver pretty clearly wants him. It's just that, uh, you know, they build up to it a little bit, and this is where I should also mention the fact that this came up in the film spying review too. That I guess the movie's getting a little bit of controversy because it's a 17 year old and army hammers obviously older i don't think that uh, the way that i would say about that is i actually don't think the it's that big a deal in the movie or maybe it's i don't know if it's because the movie doesn't make it a big deal or it, it maybe it doesn't establish that conflict well enough maybe that could have been something else um but you know i i that's something that doesn't really for bleh. me I could see the maturity differential in one or two scenes, but again, I feel like... What's well, well, consensual? If Elio and Oliver were living in an identifiable Earth reality instead of just endlessly sunning themselves in an Italian well, villa, well, you know where, where... I could see there being a problem between yeah. them due to the disparity in their maturity. It's... Yeah, it's the reverse uh, Star Wars prequel problem. Where in that, <laughs> you need to push up Anakin's age a little bit in Phantom Menace for it to work a little bit better. Here, what could have been interesting is what if Elio was actually even younger? What if he was like 14 or 15? And then actually there is an issue with, our, you know, even though this is what Elio thinks he wants, uh. you know, then you actually have some real... Then it's a, a real term. predatory relationship. Yeah, then it's a real predatory relationship. Here, I never get the sense of the predatory aspect of it. It's, in a way, it's... Well, we're going to get to the comparison with this maybe in a minute, but I thought also, you know, in, in Last Tango in Paris, in that uh-huh. film, that's never really a thing. The fact that Marlon Brando is, like, in his 
late 40s and Maria Schneider is like 18 or 19. Yeah, I think the real moral of the story, Call Me By Your Name, should be don't set your movie entirely on a leisurely vacation because it's super boring. It is so, this movie is so, so, so boring. I I was, again, I was able to latch on to the performances. Maybe I just, I was able to latch on to them a little bit more than you did. Uh, and so I, uh, maybe, All... maybe, maybe I found early, maybe in the first half more so than the second. Cause the other problem is that it is too long. Oh my God. It's so it, too long. It, 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 even though it's 132 minutes, I think is the running time. It feels longer because of that lack of incident. Like, you know, or for example, you know, to compare it to another film that has a really beautiful escape look. Uh, remember before midnight, how that movie's set in like the Greek. Uh, oh, I thought seaside. about. Yes, and I the fact that you know because that's that a movie. very beautiful looking film, but you also have Jesse and Celine. <laughs> it's like you took Jesse and Celine and put them. Yes, right there. I thought of that. I thought at one point, this guy wishes he had one one hundredth of the talent that Richard Linklater displays in the before movies, which are brilliant. And I did think of that because we do, I mean, those are vacation movies and those are movies where the conflict does not come as much from external circumstances as it comes from internal um, Hmm. characteristics. Oh, there you go. So I did not need this to be a movie with um, a conflict revolving around like, homophobic townspeople from Footloose or something. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I, I'm glad the movie didn't do that either. Like, I, I I, was fine with that part of it, the fact that, you know, it, it's, the, you know, the, the, the um, Elio and Oliver keep their relationship a secret, even though eventually it's, it's, a, it's a pretty badly kept one since by the end uh, the, the father knows about it. Um, oh, that's another thing that comes to mind. Again, I talk about that the girl uh. is so underdeveloped, uh, the mother, I feel like, isn't a really Super character at all. Like, you could have made her interesting. Like, I didn't know much about her. She was just kind of there. Oh, and, and you not know, only- she, she basically is there to sit on the couch and laugh at Italian TV with her husband. Yeah, and not only is she an underdeveloped character, but Michael Stuhlbarg has this final monologue, which you actually liked. I hated it. I, like, I, I hated kind of, every part of the I movie. liked it in part because... It made an, a semi-interesting point about, you know, how relationships sometimes don't work out or the the, the heart isn't really there. Um, and I also just liked Stuhlbarg's acting in the scene. Well, what I found, though, about it is I feel like the subtext is Michael Stuhlbarg insulting his own marriage because Michael Stuhlbarg knows the relationship that his son had with Oliver, the army. Yeah. Yeah. He says to him, like, so you had this great friendship. Maybe it was a little bit more, but he actually says to him, I have never had anything in my life like this, which is insane. That that's a little odd considering that you're married to this woman for how many years and you're comparing it to, this like frolicking in the woods yeah. relationship over like several weeks. Yeah, having you also don't establish well enough that you have like this crummy marriage or something. Yeah, every every glimpse <laughs> of the marriage we get shows them getting along, being affectionate. Except Corey, married and bored, <laughs> single and lonely, ain't no happiness nowhere. That's a classic Chris Rock bit. But. This idea, I actually found the Michael Stolberg's, um monologue very tragic because by saying that, because he gives this monologue about how when you get older, you lose your ability to feel with yeah. the intensity of youth. And then when he says he has never had a relationship akin to a short vacation fling, that's horrifying. That's tragic. We're married, as Aww. podcast listeners know. I'm reaching out to touch your hand now. Aww. We have been married for a little over nine years, and we've been together for a little over 12 years. My relationship with you 
is so much deeper and richer and better than a few days of fucking in a villa. (laughs) Someone you barely know. And frankly, I find the final message of the film deeply insulting. You know what, though? Here's why I would say, going back to what I said earlier, where the actors were kind of carrying through the movie. I I would say that ultimately, I do think Elio and Oliver... As kind of shallow and surrounded by opulence they are, they do make a connection. They have some chemistry. They do. They have chemistry and maybe they have things to talk about. We don't really see that so much. Um, you know, it, it, what's, you know, it's an interesting little moment. There's a scene where this random other loud Italian couple comes to eat uh, a meal with, with, uh, the family. Um, and, uh, uh, Elio and Oliver are at the table and the, the, this couple, I don't know, I guess they know the parents somehow. They're just like machine gun talking. They're they're just like rattling off all sorts of shit. Actually, they bring up Boonwell's death and that kind of made me go like, oh. Um, but then like, I wondered if that was supposed to be a comment on how uh, Elio and Oliver don't really have that much to say to each other. Well, it's basically... The Michael Stuhlbarg monologue is a juvenile, is such a juvenile way of looking at love. It's a way of saying that your relationship with someone is at its peak when you're young, you barely know each other. Like Michael Stuhlbarg flat out says, as you get older, your feelings will die. No one will want to look at your aging body. Which, and which you know, the the idea in a marriage is that if it's if it's a at least a halfway good one, you know that's supposed to actually you're actually supposed to like your spouse more or find new things. Yeah. So basically, I think the movie has a very juvenile attitude towards love and towards maybe not so much juvenile, just shallow yeah it's so shallow it's like as much as i even though again i like the movie more than you do it's an ultimately kind of it's shallow and i don't connect with the characters because of that shallowness lifetime movies have more depth i'm not even kidding this movie is shallow 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 and it seems like it's written by a 13 year old whose only romantic experience is kissing his own hand and like whacking off the pornography, which which I think leads oh, us yes. into a good transition into what I think is supposed to be the one kind of provocative. The audience will talk about the scene after it ends type scene. So there's a moment in this movie where Elio picks a peach up off a tree digs like he he kind of just lackadaisically is kind of thumbing it then he decides like he makes a hole in it pulls out the pit and sticks his dick in it and comes in the peach he and then later peach. and then later Oliver finds the peach by his bed <laughs> and tries to lick it up what I was like sitting there in the theater and I had a look on my face like I was like smelling like a bad fart. And I was like, <laughs> what am I watching? It's even dumber than the Jason Biggs <laughs> scene in American Pie, which is, of course, what I thought. Well, of. that's well, that's a gr- no, I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking of like, like a Bertolucci scene. Like I was thinking of Get the Butter or I was thinking of like, I don't know, something out of like the Dreamers or something, but in, not in a good way. All right. Now. I'm going to talk about the scene in detail, and I'm going to talk about the mechanics of it in detail. So, so are you going to say that this doesn't work in the same way that they don't get grad school right? They also don't understand erect penises. So if you're squeamish, you might want to skip ahead a minute, because I'm going to talk about this in depth and in detail. Now, as you can tell... I am a woman, so I do not have a penis. But I understand how penises work better than the idiots who made this film. Okay. Does this guy have, like, a tiny dick? First off, I'm sure everyone listening to this has eaten a peach before in their lives. Has eaten a ripe, juicy peach. As you know, 
ripe peaches are so soft that you punch holes in them just by holding them in your hand. Yes. So the hole he drills into the peach is a hole about the size of his thumb. Yeah. And somehow we're supposed to believe he fits his erect penis into this thumb-sized hole, masturbates to orgasm, and then deposits his jizz in this very neat thumb-sized hole. Now, now here's my now here's the thing though. Could he maybe have just had like the head part of it in there, and that was enough? Well, basically what I'm... If we're getting that graphic about it. Yeah, what I'm saying is this peach would have collapsed in totally. There is no way the peach had the structural integrity to masturbate with. Yeah. Because peaches, and we are led to believe this is very high quality produce and this is a ripe peach. Ripe peaches are so soft and so squishy that the second he put his presumably non-micro penis into this peach and started, you know, moving it up and down vigorously, the entire peach would have collapsed. He's also doing this under his swim trunks. So he doesn't even have room to maneuver the I thought peach. he did have his dick out. I mean, they don't show that. The movie also, by the way, this is a side note. Did the movie feel like, even though it had like kind of an erotic charge at times, it could have maybe shown more I thought maybe they were. I don't know if that's maybe a weird criticism. Like I'm, I'm sure that it's it's fine. They it's wanted to have done. their cake and eat it too. They wanted to be all bold, but there's no explicit sex scenes in this movie. No, like Bro- Brokeback Mountain had a more explicit scene in that film. Um, there's kissing and flirtation, and there's a scene where Elio grabs Oliver's junk with his hand over it. Yeah, but. Okay, so when Elio present when Oliver sees the peach that Elio has just masturbated into, the peach again retains perfect structural integrity with only that one tiny <laughs> hole in it. I am gesturing with my thumb. And you're doing the old Roman style thing too, I could tell. Looking and down. then apparently, um, his jizz is still in the peach. Yeah. For Army Hammer to like kind of drink or does he i think he dips his finger into it and then puts his finger in like it's yogurt yeah so this is not how peaches work and this (laughs) is not how masturbation works it seemed odd you would think that he we were led to believe that after he does the deed with this peach that's like hours later because army hammer comes in when it's dark that's the other thing, too. In warm uh, weather, a ripe peach will rot in a few hours. There should have been, like, flies around have that Have any thing. of you idiots ever handled produce? Ever? <laughs> this movie doesn't get produce right. <laughs> when you're married, you'll understand the importance of fresh produce. My favorite line from The Sopranos. Although you could say, because well, he's not married. I'm sorry if you guys find this description vulgar, yeah. but it's so stupid. Yeah. And I have to say, I was not bored in that 30 seconds to a minute where he's fucking that peach. <laughs> I was just kind of like, I, I, you know what's weird? I thought I'd heard something about this scene before but it sounded very vague and i had no idea what i was hearing so i got i saw this scene totally taken by surprise so you said this movie was 132 minutes long it's 131 minutes too long the minute where he's fucking the peach is kind of funny even though it's awful and i was kind of laughing in my hands because i i wasn't sure what tone we were supposed to take with it is this Again, is this supposed to be like one of those weird erotic scenes that Bertolucci used to do? Or is it like something else? Oh, this is not a criticism of the movie. This is just kind of a PSA. If any of if anyone in the audience is bizarrely inspired by our description our description of this scene, do not touch your own genitals after you've been touching produce because it's actually potentially bad for you, especially if you are a woman. 
that you should not be getting like fruit sugars near your delicate parts. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a special PSA from The Wages of Cinema. Because I remember years ago, I read in an issue of Cosmopolitan that I should not be put that... Ladies should never put food near their delicate lady parts. So all those scenes due to susceptibility oh, to yeast infection. So all those scenes in movies where, like, if you have like, you know, they open up the fridge to have like a snack with the body parts. If you have like a strawberry down there, it's, it's bad. Yeah, idea. it's potentially bad for you. And you know, <laughs> men can get yeast infections too. It's not as common, obviously, as with women. Oh but. God, what? Oh, so, oh, so you think he could have gotten an infection from that? I say it's unlikely because I mean he was swimming all the time. He was well washed. Oh, Corey, he got the peach hiv. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, if any of you ever see this cinematic abortion and feel oh. the need to um, right. monkey see, monkey do what you see in the film, do not put fruit near your genitals. Uh, Cosmopolitan of like 10 years wouldn't have steered me wrong, right? Okay. Yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, all right. So one last thing I wanted to bring up, because uh, this only came to mind while you were talking about the mechanics of the the penis and the peach. Do you now, want to weigh in on it? Because you actually have the equipment involved. Uh, it was laughable. Okay. I'll say it was laughable. I get... I sort of get why the movie was showing that because he was just so like hormonally fucked up. Well, if he had tried it and wrecked the peach, it probably wouldn't have bothered me that much because I understand when people are young, hormones are racing, we do silly things. If he had tried it and the peach had been destroyed, it pro it would have been silly, but it wouldn't have irritated it, him as much. It does seem but it does seem like a scene that should be in a gross-out comedy. Yeah. Not in this like tasteful James Ivory scripted, yeah. uh, you know, awards contender. The Farrelly brothers called. They want their scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is next up is Timothy Chalamet going to get it stuck? <laughs> I could just picture Army uh, 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 Michael Stuhlbarg coming around the door. Is it the Frank or the Beans? <laughs> All right. Well, that's um. Something that occurred to me, though, um, maybe some of the motivation for why Elio doesn't come out immediately is because of the the Jewish aspect. I know that's something that is not really touched upon that much, but it is something that comes up. The fact that Army Hammer's character, he has, like, the Jewish star around his neck, and he is... Uh, uh, you know, and he has it, and he mentions that his mother doesn't want him. You know, to Elio doesn't want Elio's mother doesn't want him to have the Jewish star because they're kind of like hidden Jews, like they yeah, can't be Jews but... around there. I I thought that was an interesting point. Like that was something in the first half of the film where I was like, oh, okay. But ultimately, that, I don't know if that really connects that well with Elio being like a closeted by. Kid. Again, too, this is another example where, God forbid, there's a scene with drama in it. So, Elio tells Oliver that his parents are, quote, Jews with discretion. Yes, it's a quote yes. from the movie. Right. He's t he says his parents explicitly downplay their Jewish identity. Yes. Now, once Elio becomes closer to Oliver, he starts wearing the Jewish star. But do his parents ever say anything to him about it? Nope. It's never addressed yeah, I by mean, them and, the and they And they do notice it. Yeah. So, again, I totally understand if you want to make a movie about a gay relationship where the drama is not centered around, oh my god, we have to hide ourselves from homophobic family members, homophobic friends, homophobic employers, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. It, it was a setup, but it didn't pay off. That's totally fine. I am fine with finding other sources of drama. This is a totally inert film that has no drama at all. Yeah. Again, I... To, to close out, because I think uh, I think we should maybe get into final thoughts, because I'm not quite sure what else we could say <laughs> about this without you just turning over the table and like uh -huh. you know going all Hulk on us. But um, again, I 
I, I don't I don't dislike this movie completely. I think that there are some worthy things about it. I think that um except that Chalamet is I don't really buy his whole posturing like a lot of the time because a lot of, there there are certain points where he just looks like I'm just gonna glide into a scene and kind of like move around like a you know, I'm all hip and cool <laughs> and by the end of the film he's just crying in front of a fire. Um but and look, if you if you somehow get some emotional connection from this movie, you know I don't begrudge you that. Um, that being said, the fact that this is this is a nominee for best picture in the drama category at the Golden Globes—that's insane—and it, it, that could possibly lead to. I wouldn't be surprised if this got a best picture nomination at the Oscars. That's really that's not right. This this movie is becoming a bit overrated. By people who I think gravitate towards these super intellectual posturing movies, it almost feel it's almost kind of like a safe movie to say that. Oh, I like gay themed movies. I saw Call Me by Your Name. I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit of a harsh thing to say, but I feel like this is something for you know more upper middle class or upper class people who go who still go to films. Uh, to say that, oh, that was really tastefully done. That was a really, you know, emotionally involving film. And it's it's not really as much as it could have been. Or, I, I, I don't, again, there, there are so many things where you could have fixed this, but there are, the movie's high on its supply. Oh, yeah, this movie thinks it's really smart, but it is empty. All the pretty visuals do not hide the fact that this film is lifeless. The characters are boring. They have no internal life. They have no complexity. There is no... There is there is absolutely no drama to this film. Nothing happens. There is... I hated this movie. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. This was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad movie. And you walked out before the last scene happened. Too. I walked out before the last scene because you, you this don't movie know. broke you, me so you, completely. You, Corey, you, you you missed that tender moment when Oliver tells Elio that he's now engaged huh. and now so he'll never be able to consummate that relationship. As I said at the start, this is by far the worst film I've seen this year. And we saw the book of Henry. <laughs> Again, a little bit of hyperbole there. Earlier today, we watched the Will Smith org movie. I said org, not orc movie. <laughs> the WillSmith.org movie. <laughs> and when I met Jack in the lobby, I said to him, I cannot believe Bright was the, wasn't the worst movie I saw today. And I want to emphasize that... There are a lot of people out there who get enjoyment out of watching bad films. I'm one of them. Yeah. I am a connoisseur of bad movies. Uh, a sincerely, boldly terrible movie can be really fun to watch. This movie's not fun to watch. Man, I, I thought that the last time that I've had you, that the last time you've been on the podcast and you hated something this much was X-Men Apocalypse. And even that, I think you liked more than this. X-Men Apocalypse is Citizen Kane compared to this film. I, I imagine most films are Citizen King compared yes. to this film. So except so except for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and one other film, right? I said Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is my least favorite film of all time, my most hated film. This isn't quite that bad. That movie Unfriended, I also said, was also slightly worse. I, I would obviously agree with you there. So... I want to emphasize this is not fun bad to watch. It is so boring... I became so irritated that I was sitting there, like, stewing in my seat. And, you know, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't start, like, kicking a chair or something. I wanted to. And I actually walked out of this film um, before the last scene because I could not take it anymore. <laughs> I hated this movie so much. I. I say this sincerely, I have no idea what people see in this movie. I literally can't fathom how someone could like this movie. And it's got a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Y'all are crazy. <laughs> you gotta bring out the y'all at the end here. I, wanna, I want some of the crack that you're on to think this is not a thoroughly awful film. I hate it. I hate everything about it. I wish I had the time back that I spent watching it. You, you, you go one step further. Be like George Lucas with the Holly special. If you had a hammer in the time, you'd smash every copy. 
Everyone involved in this movie should disown it. It is terrible. And I'm pretty sure I never want to see anything again by anyone involved in the making of this film. So I didn't like it. <laughs> we should insert here the, the clip from Ren Stimpy where Mr. Horse would go like, no, sir, I didn't like it. All right. So if you if any of you have possibly seen this film, have any thoughts, if you want to politely disagree with Corey before she use her tiny fists of fury on you, um, you can send us an email to agesofcinema at gmail.com. And don't forget, we're also on Facebook and Twitter um at the wages of cinema podcast so you can send us a message there or uh leave a comment on the uh, the post once this goes on to the the pages um so uh when we uh when we come back next time hopefully we'll have a better movie to talk about um it'll likely be with andrew because uh, we need to catch up um but uh so this was call me by your name and uh just saying the title will get Corey flustered, so I think we'll sign off now. So I'm Jack. I'm Corey. And The Wages of Cinema is... Death and... and you know what else is death? This movie! <laughs> <laughs> I have a good night. Oh, to see without my eyes The first time that you kiss Is there anything you don't know? By the time I cried You only knew how little I know about the things that matter Build your walls around What things that matter? White noise, what an awful sound You know what things You saying what I think you're saying? Feel my feet above the ground you shouldn't have said anything Just pretend you never did God.